0: We have to tell people that they don't want to eat you.
1: Hello, I'm John Rossi. I'm a touring drummer with a passion for animal conservation. When I'm on the road, I spend as much time as possible visiting zoos, aquariums, and conservation organizations. Now, I want to share those places with you. I'll be talking to keepers, vets, conservationists, anyone who can help me in my mission of connecting my people to animals through there, people. Join me on my Rasafari. Hello, 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 and welcome back to the Raw Safari podcast and uh, the episode that might have been the hardest to make out of all of them so far. Um, that sounds overly dramatic, uh, and um, well, that's partially just because I, I like being dramatic. Uh, but the truth is, uh, I am bringing you today. An interview with Katie Sindelwald of the uh, California Wolf Center. And I tried to get this interview to happen when I was out in California. I tried to get out to the Wolf Center, then we tried to schedule it as a Zoom while I was out there, and life just kept happening. I felt so bad because it is no joke to say that I think we had to reschedule like four times to make this happen, and it was usually my fault in some way. So um, I am wildly grateful to Katie, uh, who not only did not yell at me during this interview when she had every right to um but also uh, just kept rescheduling kept being very understanding of the things that were happening and um we got a great interview out of it and then after all of that happened there was a weird audio problem with her interview that i couldn't hear when we did it live and so uh i had to really learn some new stuff to make this sound good but it sounds really good and i'm really happy about that fact Ah, uh, the life of a podcaster. But uh, yeah, you don't really care about that, do you? You just want to hear cool things about wolves. And uh, so we'll get to that in a minute. But uh, got to do all the housekeeping stuff first. So please remember that you can support this podcast, patreon.com slash And make sure you're following along at Rossifari on Instagram and Facebook and Twitter at Pod on TikTok. You can get merch and such at rossafari.com And... I just happened to – uh well, okay, so I was narcissistically looking at my podcast in different places and seeing what was going on. And I've mentioned this on here a bunch of times, but ratings and reviews really help people find the podcast, okay? And um on the U.S. Apple Podcasts app – Uh, I am currently at 49 ratings and reviews. I would love to see that hit 50 and maybe go higher. So if you use Apple Podcasts at all and you haven't done this yet, uh, please go to the show page and click five stars. And if you could take a second and write just even a few sentence review, it truly helps me. More people will find the podcast, will join the Rossifari community, and will listen to my stupid rambling before really cool interviews. So, uh... Win-win, I guess. Um, but yeah, if if somebody could just go and give me that little boop, that little boop over that, that would be amazing. And if you don't listen on Apple, um, that's fine. A lot of other apps, including Spotify, also have a way to uh, at least leave a rating, if not a review. And if you could go and do that, it would really help me out. It's such a simple, easy thing to do, and it would be just a big boost for the pod. So I would greatly appreciate any and all of you being willing to do that. All right. Enough. Let's get to wolves. So we are talking today with Katie Sindelwald of the California Wolf Center. And this is a place that I did not know exists, uh, but they are a center in in California for for wolves. Okay, I'm guessing you had figured that out already. But it's a really cool place and they do some really neat stuff. They have some ambassador wolf packs. They have some non-ambassador wolf packs. Um it's it's just really cool. They also have an offsite facility where they're like downtown. They have a storefront basically where they can talk about wolf conservation and sell stuff. And I think that's so cool because so many of the conservation organizations that I go to are off, you know, I can't tell you how many times I've driven on like dirt roads and like see signs that say, do not drive on this road. And you get an email from the place saying, no, no, it's cool. Drive on the road. Um, But by having a downtown location, they're able to get their message to people that aren't coming out into the wilderness to find them. All of which I think is fascinating, and actually, if you become a patron, you'll get some bonus audio where we talk about that very thing. Uh, so, yeah, Patreon.com/Rossafari for that, little three dollars a month. But I am really done plugging everything right now. Um, so let's let's get to this, shall we? Here is my interview with Katie Sindewald of the California Wolf Center. <laughs> Let's start off by you telling me who you are, where you work, and what you do there.
0: My name is Katie, and I am the Learning and Engagement Coordinator at the California Wolf Center. So basically what that means is I'm at the head of our education department, and as far as what we do with education here, we lead guided tours on our site, and you get to see our two lovely Ambassador Wolf Packs. And I'll also do some research, keep our education materials updated and current. And as far as the engagement portion of my work, I post and design all the material for our social media sites.
1: That's awesome. All of that is very important because wolf conservation is just such a challenge right now. And it breaks my heart. Um, I, I feel like so many people don't understand how amazing wolves are. And one of the things I hope to get from this podcast is uh, that. So I, I hope you like wolves.
0: Yeah. And, you know, it's <laughs> ab, you're absolutely right. Wolf conservation is a really difficult topic. And something else that we've encountered so much with tour guests here and um, at our nature store in downtown Julian nearby, people think wolves truly are the big bad wolf. And that is so different from their actual personalities. They are the big fraidy cats of the canine world. So you will truly never have a big bad wolf experience, I can guarantee you, with a wild wolf.
1: Oh, that's awesome. And that's that's so good to know. Um, so, okay, we'll, we'll get to the wolves, but uh, let's talk about you a little bit. What got you into all of this career?
0: so it was kind of funny i had one of those moments when i was a teenager where i thought yes i absolutely want to work with animals but i didn't have a specific animal in mind i was just so fascinated by really all the animals i could come across in the animal kingdom and then towards my late college career i got connected with a zookeeper from the san diego zoo And she was kind of my mentor, and she said, you need to have hands-on experience working with animals if that's what you want to do as a career. So she recommended the California Wolf Center for me to volunteer at. And so that was how I first got connected with the center itself. And I hadn't really considered working with wolves. I thought, what in the world? What are they going to be asking me to do with wolves? (laughs) And I just loved it. And that was back in uh, 2017. And then last summer, uh, my predecessor happened to take off for Bigger and Better Things. And I was invited to join the pack, so to say.
1: (laughs) You've been planning that one since we started planning this, haven't you?
0: (laughs) (laughs) I mean, I was secretly hoping.
1: (laughs) Oh, that's awesome. That's very cool. Um, do you want to give a shout out to, to who it was at San Diego that helped you on your way?
0: So, um, I, unfortunately I only remember her first name was Rachel, okay. but, um, big shout out to Rachel. She was amazing in just pointing me in the right direction. Okay. So giving me a minute. Lots of, mm-hmm.
1: well, sorry, but so, okay. So you're not, I see. My assumption, and I'm so glad I asked this, my assumption was that, you know, Rachel was this person who you knew at the zoo and helped you and you just like talked to someone at the zoo and then they shaped your whole career, right?
0: So what happened specifically was with, um, and I would highly recommend if anyone is looking for a mentor figure, look for an equivalent of this, um, at your school. But, um, my school had a mentor program where you could take a quiz It was sort of like one of those online dating websites, except for your career interests. (laughs) And I got connected with, I think it was top five professionals who had signed up with this program. They were all graduates from the school as well, and they had agreed to mentor people in the field that they were interested in. And the program was very new at the time. So my top choice, 85% match was a geologist which was interesting. (laughs) But uh, a little further down the list, I found my actual mentor, Rachel.
1: Okay, that's really cool.
0: Yes, it was a fantastic opportunity. And we just met really informally, just met at the Starbucks on campus. And she said, what are you looking to do with your career? How can I help and how can I connect you to the right places? And so then she got me connected with actually an education internship at the San Diego Zoo.
1: Ooh, that's exciting.
0: It was very cool. <laughs> yeah,
1: no doubt. When I was out in California, um, I spent way too much time at the San Diego Zoo and I uh, got to interview Nikki Boyd there. And it was just uh, just what an amazing facility.
0: Mm-hmm. It's really fantastic.
1: That's so cool. Um and that brings us to to your facility, to to California Wolf Center. Um why you know, I feel like this is a place where a lot of my listeners are going to be like, "Ooh, I didn't know that exists." So, can you can you tell us a little bit about it?
0: Yeah, so we definitely get that reaction a lot as well. People will come up to our center for a tour and they'll say, "I've lived in San Diego my entire life and I never knew you guys were here." And we say, "Well, That's why we're here is to get you excited about wolves and get people to realize that this is a fantastic place to come if you're stopping through Southern California. So we are located just outside the town of Julian, California, and we have a roughly 50 acre facility. We've got um, currently six wolf packs on site, and that is including our two ambassador wolf packs that I described earlier.
1: Oh, that's so cool. Six wolf packs, that is. Ah. (laughs) Oh man, I can't even imagine. How many uh, individual wolves do you have in these six packs?
0: So we have a total of 29 wolves on site and a lot of people think, oh my gosh, that's so many. We have had in the past 36. Wow. Um, And it's good news, not like anyone disappeared, but we also partner with other facilities that specifically have Mexican gray wolves and once in a while some of them will be chosen to breed at other facilities that we partner with. And so then we will drive them off and they'll get to be partnered with mate somewhere else. Well, that's exciting.
1: Always good for genetic diversity. I know that in zoos, the AZA tends to run the species survival plan for all of that. Um, mm-hmm. And I would assume that as a um, non-zoo facility that you're not a part of the aza but do you guys work with the the ssp or is this done independently of that how does that work
0: so we do work with the ssp um if you are going to house mexican gray wolves you are a part of that species survival plan and that not only dictates that you can transfer wolves to other facilities to be chosen to breed or receive them but also it sets a standard for the wolves care so really, the SSP is a huge part of the way we operate every single day. It has so many recommendations and requirements for how we work with our Mexican gray wolves. So yes, we are a part of that SSP. We hold ourselves to AZA standards. However, as you said, since we are a smaller facility, then we don't technically have the AZA accreditation. But yeah, again, we do hold ourselves to that standard.
1: Absolutely. Yeah. And for those listening who might not know this um, to get full AZA accreditation, you need there's a lot more than just the animal care side of things, um, some of which is very zoo specific and and requires you to have a large, um, uh, I want to say cast because I'm an actor and a musician, but a large staff is the word I'm looking for. (laughs) And and just different things where where some facilities couldn't do that. But um, Anyone who holds themselves to that standard and anyone who is able to be a part of the uh, SSP because, you know, they're doing it right is is good by my books. And I think that's wonderful. So that's that's very cool. So let's let's talk, first of all, about your non-ambassador wolf packs. Now, I'm not great at math, but you said you have six wolf packs, two of which are ambassador. I'm going with you have four wolf packs that are are non-ambassador.
0: Is that exactly nailed it. All right. Nailed it in one. (laughs) So
1: proud of myself. Perfect. Um, Tell me about them and, and how do, how do they function as non ambassadors?
0: So with the majority of our off exhibit wolves, those are wolves that either in the past have been chosen to breed or they may breed possibly in the future. And the whole idea with how we work with any of our wolves on site either ambassador or off exhibit wolves is we want to keep them as wild as possible because they are truly a wild animal. They don't like humans. Our presence to them is stressful and we want to respect that. And so we will keep them as wild as possible, which means no talking to them, no petting them, anything like that. And with our off exhibit wolves, they see even less human contact. So with our ambassador wolves, They still don't like humans, but they will tolerate our presence (laughs) and they will show interest in tour groups because every tour group smells differently. That brings out their natural curiosity. And with our off exhibit wolves, again, they just see humans less often. We'll check up on them once a day to make sure everyone's okay. Nobody's injured and refill their water tubs, do that kind of really basic care. But again, just... Less human contact for them, especially if they've been chosen to breed and they may have puppies.
1: Sure, that makes a lot of sense. Um, how do you determine the um, packness? I'm going to go with the the like the pack membership. How how is that all figured out? Do the wolves get to figure it out, or do you guys assign packs, or how does that work?
0: Great question. So it's a little bit of a combination of both. So wolf packs in the wild. A lot of people also misunderstand that there's this alpha, omega, beta pack structure, and pack structure is so complicated, and it's not quite as complicated as most people think. We speak in terms of dominant versus submissive, and a pack structure in the wild is typically going to be a mated pair, the mom and dad, and their very young kids. So we kind of compare it to a human nuclear family. You've got mom and dad. You've got kids who are still living at home. Maybe they're slightly different ages. And then once they reach maturity, then they leave. And so mom and dad naturally are going to be the most dominant. The offspring are going to be submissive to them. And then they'll grow up to about two or three years old. They'll leave. They'll be dominant in their own pack. And so we try to mimic that pack structure here in captivity as much as we can. So we'll keep mom and dad together. We'll keep their offspring together. Once they reach that adult age, they may decide everything's great and I get along with my siblings, I get along with my parents. And the parents may or may not stay dominant in that situation. The uh, dominance and submissive kind of spectrum may shift a bit. However, if everyone is getting along, they've decided that this individual pack member, be it mom or dad or one of the offsprings is most dominant and everyone's fine with that. Great. We'll let them stay all together. However, we have had situations where maybe two siblings don't get along when they reach sexual maturity and that's totally fine. We'll reshuffle packs a little bit and just arrange it so that everyone's getting along very nicely. And if we do have to split up a pack, then they may also continue to share a fence line so they can still see each other, smell each other, communicate in those ways. But there's no possibility of aggression.
1: Cool. That that's really interesting. I did not realize the wolf pack makeup in the wild. Now, I, I, I know that, you know, I knew that it wasn't the have you seen the meme, the, the wisdom of wolves meme that's out there?
0: Oh, I'm not sure if I have. okay. Um, so there, <laughs> I'd love to see it though.
1: <laughs> there's this thing. I pulled it up and it's it's annoying because it's false. It shows, a Mm. bunch of wolves some in the front some in the middle and then kind of one behind and it starts off and it says you know when wolves walk the three in front are old and sick they walk in the front to set the pace the next five are the strongest and best they're tasked to protect from you know the front side and blah 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 the five behind are also amongst the strongest and best and then the last one is the leader he ensures that no one is left behind keeps the pack unified (laughs) blah 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 and it's all bs (laughs) of course as as you know um Mm -hmm. and i was just i was dying because I'll, I'll I'll send these two afterwards, but there's a, a zookeeper group that I'm in and they took it and they have the same picture and they erased the actual incorrect info. And they just said, the three in front are wolves. Do wolf things. <laughs> Very wolfy. The five in back are also wolves. Lots of wolves there. Five more wolves. The last one is also a wolf. And it just makes me so happy. <laughs>
0: That's fantastic. <laughs> yes, I will I will
1: send that to you when we are done here. It just makes my heart oh my so gosh. happy.
0: Yeah, um, and it is so true and I love that groups like that are releasing Correct information, but also in a very approachable and very humorous format.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I I was very pleased when I saw that. Um, So what kind of wolves do you have at the Wolf Center? I assume they're all California wolves because the name is California Wolf Center. So
0: So that's actually kind of funny that you mentioned that. uh, For some context, there are four wolf species in the world. There are gray wolves and there are red wolves, and those are two here in North America, but also the gray wolf spans many different continents across the world. Then there's also the Ethiopian wolf, as well as the African golden wolf. Now, I feel
1: like you just made a whole bunch of people hit pause and go to Google. <laughs> I know. <laughs> <'Cause>, yeah, <laughs> mm-hmm.
0: and I there are so many interesting articles about what makes those four different species their own. The wolves that we have here in North America, like I said, uh, we have the red wolf. We also have five different subspecies of the gray wolf. Now, the two we have here specifically at the California Wolf Center are the Mexican gray wolf, as well as the Northwestern gray wolf. Now, you may have heard many other names for the Northwestern gray wolf. You may have heard the Alaskan gray wolf or the North American gray wolf. They're all the same. It's just the Northwestern gray wolf.
1: Gotcha. Gotcha.
0: And that is the wolf that we have here in California. However, there are no wild wolf populations in Southern California. So ironically enough, we're nowhere near wild wolves here at the California <laughs> Wolf Center. <laughs>
1: <laughs> that is amusing. Um, are all four wolf species endangered?
0: So not necessarily. Um, the I know that for sure with the um, red wolves... They are facing um, a lot of issues with their numbers in the wild, specifically. They uh, are restricted now to just a population in North Carolina. However, and I'll um, have to share the article with you a bit later, but recently in 2021, there was the first wild litter of red wolves born in the wild since I believe it was 2018. So... They've got exciting news happening, unfortunately still endangered, but um, I would have to look up more current numbers uh, for the African golden wolf and Ethiopian wolf.
1: It's time for Interrupting, 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 Interrupting John. Hmm. Instead of making Katie Google, I decided that I would Google for y'all. So, uh, yeah, the African golden wolf is of least concern. Uh, So good job, golden wolves, for not becoming almost extinct yet. And uh, the Ethiopian wolf is critically endangered because, of course, they are. So those are those remaining statuses. And let's get back to talking about red wolves in this interview. Yeah, I I the the red wolf situation. So uh, every Friday, I release a zoo news episode where I do, you know, news about the world of zoos and conservation and such. And literally, almost every week, I think it's been four weeks in a row, and it's going to happen again this week. um, I have a story about a red wolf, whether it's, you know, born in the wild, or um the Akron Zoo recently had a litter that was then released into the wild. Um, Or, you know, one was recently found shot and they're looking for information about it. Like it's just Mm -hmm. every week there's something about red wolves and, and I'm so passionate about um, that species because they are so important and they are so misunderstood that it just, it breaks my heart a little bit that the numbers are so low.
0: Yeah, definitely. And it's always, like you said, it's disheartening to hear things like that in the news but then also to see those amazing positives, like you said, the releases into the wild and also that new litter of little puppies. And um, if you're able to, I'll, again, I'll look for that article, but there's an amazing picture right at the top of the article. There's just a cute bundle of puppies. And of course, everyone loves puppies. But to me, especially wolf puppies look so adorable because they look like little fuzzy potatoes. (laughs) (laughs)
1: Oh my goodness! I love that, and I think we just got a uh, episode title. So <laughs>
0: <laughs> perfect, fuzzy potato yeah. conservation.
1: <laughs> um, yeah. So okay. So that's the reds, and then let's talk about the grays that you have there. Tell tell me how they're doing in the wild, and and what their conservation situation is.
0: So with the northwestern gray wolves, they are their numbers are actually doing really a lot better than they were historically. And so with the Northwestern gray wolves we have on site currently, we're actually not continuing to breed them because we cannot release them back into the wild. Oh, wow. So really, that's a good thing (laughs) uh, that we can't release them. And so the Northwesterns we have currently on site, they are purely ambassadors. However, again, we're still going to treat them as wild as possible because they don't like us. Um, With the Mexican gray wolves, they are still currently endangered. However, again, positives. Uh, In 2021, we learned that the U.S. wild population, that's in an area between Arizona and New Mexico, they experienced their sixth consecutive year of growth. They are now at 196 in the wild.
1: All right. That's really great news. Although it's also a really scary number.
0: And that's the thing is we just have to keep thinking as far as the positives put their conservation, because 196 sounds tiny and the population in Mexico is even tinier. They're at about 45. But if you look historically at their numbers back in 1977, there were only 13.
1: Oh, wow.
0: Yeah. And then even scarier still, um, when that population was captured, there was some genetic testing done. And turned out that only seven were unrelated enough to continue breeding for that subspecies.
1: Oh no, that
0: is so (laughs) small. It's tiny. It is really, really tiny. And so any Mexican gray wolf facility is going to have descendants of just seven.
1: Wow. That's, uh, that's mind boggling to me. I mean, I talk to a lot of people, like I volunteer with Red Panda Network. So, you know, we do a lot of talking about red pandas and cheetahs and like endangered animals, but that's endangered.
0: <laughs> yes. And that if you, depending on who you talk to, some may consider that functionally extinct.
1: Right. Right. Interesting. Um, so you've got a heck of a battle, uh, on your hands here, huh?
0: Yeah, yeah. And so um, we are continuing again in our efforts with conservation. Currently, we have a lot of packs on site who have bred in the past. And so we are not currently continuing to breed in captivity because, again, these individuals have bred previously or they're just a little bit too old for that to be good for their health. But we are continuing to support other facilities that are doing that. Uh, Like I said, transferring out any of our wolves who may be chosen for breeding and continuing our education efforts to teach people about how incredible these animals are and that this is not just an endangered subspecies, but this is the most genetically distinct subspecies of gray wolf.
1: Very cool. And obviously, education is wildly important to you, as that is a big part of your job. Um, what kind of education work are you doing to, um, to inform people about wolves in general?
0: So a lot of obviously what we do, like I said, is our tours on site and we do get a lot of people who are local to San Diego, but I've also heard a lot of people have traveled from further away, either within the state or from across the world. We've gotten a huge variety of places that people have come from to come see us, which is so fantastic. And also we have education efforts happening at our downtown Julian nature store. We've got docents there who will tell you all day about how fantastic wolves are, their conservation, things like that. And then uh, lastly, as part of my job, like I mentioned earlier, I work with social media. And so during the week, I try to post something that's just a cute wolf picture or a pretty wolf picture, and then another post that is educational somehow. And so I'll highlight something about Mexican gray wolves and how amazing they are, or something about Northwesterns as well.
1: Awesome. And um, do you think that social media is a good place for conservation education?
0: You know, I think social media has so many benefits for any organization out there but specifically one as small as we are, it's an amazing way for us to not only share information about wolves and to dispel a lot of those myths. Like I said, the big bad wolf myth persists, and it's so frustrating. Um, But (laughs) So very
1: frustrating.
0: It's, oh my goodness. And it cannot, again, cannot be further from the truth, but it's also an amazing way to just catch people's attention because someone may be... I mean, I'm sure so many of your viewers are going to be familiar with the idea of just mindlessly scrolling through their social media. And if something that I can do can stop them in that scrolling so that they have a moment where they think, oh, wow, I didn't realize this amazing fact about wolves. I want to look into them more. Then that is absolutely worth it for me to design that post.
1: Love that. Yeah. And I mean, I agree. I before Ross Safari was ever a podcast or even the idea of a podcast, it was daily photos of animals with educational or, you know, jokes, but usually educational facts. And um yeah, I think that's very cool. I love that. Um So let's let's dig into the big bad wolf thing a little bit. Where do you think, or or if there have been, I don't know, studies or whatever, where does this come from? Because they're, they're dogs. Everyone loves dogs. And wolves <laughs> are just like literally like canines, like dogs, like domesticated dogs as we know them, came from wolves. So how is this such a thing?
0: So it's kind of funny. I've been thinking about that a lot recently. And obviously there's the big bad wolf and there's little red riding hood. There are so many myths and fairy tales like that, that persist through our culture that tell us wolves are so scary and they're going to eat my granny and dress up like her and come and eat me. (laughs) And unfortunately beyond those really silly cases, there are still movies and other instances of popular culture where someone is lost out in the woods or they just crash their plane and they hop out and there's a wolf pack that's happens to be there and is really hungry. (laughs) But um, (laughs) that again, so far from the truth, if you are going to see a wolf pack in the wild, you're probably going on a very expensive quote unquote, Safari in Yellowstone national park in the dead of winter. And you're seeing them through a scope. Right. So (laughs) they really just don't want to be around people, but It's an interesting story to tell, and it makes a story more dramatic if there's some snarling predator coming after people. (laughs) Um, And, yes, it is true that wolves and dogs have a common ancestor. They have a wolf-like ancestor. And now they have very, very far diverged from that ancestor. And so it's funny. A lot of people also come on tour, and they either think – ah, wolves are so scary. Or they think, oh, that looks just like my dog. Can I pet it? (laughs) That is also very far from the truth. Wolves don't want anything to do with you, whether it's, we have to tell people that they don't want to eat you or no, you can't pet them and they don't want that.
1: (laughs) Oh, humans. Oh, always a mess. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Um, yeah, that's so I don't know. I find it so fascinating, but I'm also a person who's not afraid of any animal. Um I I do feel like I mean, okay, I'm not going to lie. Katie, you're breaking my heart a little bit here. Um when you say that wolves don't like you, even ambassador wolves, it it I, that's cool and I like learning, but it does make me a little sad. I always kind of pictured the idea of like ambassador wolves and stuff as being basically big dogs. And um, I appreciate you educating us and, and saying that's not the case. <laughs> but literally every time you've said it, today I'm like, Shh, no, don't tell me that. <laughs> um, but what's what's it like to like what are the relationships like with the humans and the ambassadors at the the center?
0: So, I will say it's not all bad news. They are curious about you. I'll take um, that. If you, yeah. So, if you respect their boundaries, then they'll be curious about you. The thing that we say to describe wolves and their personality, as far as how they really relate to the world at large, but also with people, is they're neophobic, they're afraid of new things. And so, if we are in the setting where we are in the Ambassador Wolves viewing areas, Walk in at this certain time of day, they we don't do any formal training with our wolves, but they're very intelligent. They know that's just a tour group, and so that does kind of bring out their natural curiosity. And they think, Oh, what does this group smell like? And I'm really curious about what kind of enrichment that the educator might be handing out. And so then they will approach in that context, and again. It's because they know that there's a fence barrier in between the humans and their space. And so that brings out their natural curiosity. But if someone was to breach that barrier, that fence, that is when they say, okay, no, the big scary human is in my space and I'm going to run away. So we have a joke here that uh, wolves are very good at social distancing Um, so you come into their space and they will be very respectful of your space.
1: (laughs) Fair. Um, okay. That, that's, yeah, that's definitely better than they secretly hate us all, which was making me sad. Um, (laughs) so, you know, that, that makes a lot of sense. Um, and you brought up enrichment. So let's talk about some basic husbandry in general. What kind of stuff are you feeding the wolves and what do you do for enrichment? And talk to me about that.
0: Yeah, so wolves are a very interesting large carnivore in that I'm sure you've heard from a lot of other places that work with large carnivores. They will work in the capacity of closed contact.
1: It's time for Interrupting, 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 Interrupting John again. Okay, so just jumping in real quick again, Uh, closed contact is just another term for protected contact. Uh, We normally have the term protected contact used on this podcast, but they are interchangeable. Uh, Just the idea being that you are not indirectly with the animal, but there is some form of barrier between you and the carnivore or I guess herbivore. That is really aggressive. That happens sometimes. Anyway, back to the interview.
0: And that means that they have at least one layer of protection between themselves, the humans. And the animal they're working with. So whether that be a fence or gate in between you and that animal as you're feeding them with like a metal fork in between (laughs) the slots in the fence or something like that. Or if you're going into the habitat in order to clean up after the animals, then they'll be shifted into a separate area so that then there is no contact or sharing of space between humans and animals. Now, with wolves, if they are kept as wild as possible, then that actually gives you a different opportunity to work with them in that we actually use free or open contact. So we are actually, yeah, so it's really interesting. We can safely share the same space as the wolves because, like I said, we move anywhere into their space, they're going to respond by moving the opposite direction. And so our routine is for husbandry, We will go into their space, we will scoop up poop and scrub out water tubs, refill them, walk out, and we will not usually see the wolves if we are in their space. They'll kind of hide behind a bush or a tree, maybe poke their head out to see, okay, where are they moving now? And then if they see us moving towards them, they'll respond by moving Mm -hmm. very far away.
1: Okay. That's, that's definitely, uh, you know, interesting. You're still, you're still killing my, my dream of, of petting and, and riding a wolf off into the sunset. No, I'm kidding. I'm kidding <laughs> about that. Um, but cool. What, when you're in there, what, what kind of stuff are you feeding them?
0: So we will feed them a variety of things. Um, I'm sure everyone knows wolves are carnivores, but specifically they are obligate carnivores. So we are feeding them a combination of different things. We'll feed them chicken pieces, kind of like you would find in a grocery store, legs, thighs, things like that. They also love fish. Uh, We have wonderful relationships with places that will donate fish to us, and then we'll also feed them, might sound kind of surprising, carnivore kibble. And a lot of people hear that and they think, what? You feed them a dry dog food? What is that? (laughs) And that is a specially formulated captive carnivore kibble that helps to round out their diet with vitamins and minerals that they might otherwise be missing if they were just eating meat or animal products and so that helps to again just round out their diet and with the northwestern gray wolves again since they are not a release candidate we actually have a couple of different options for how we manage their care so since they cannot be released into the wild they can actually receive livestock as a food item And so we have a great relationship with some of our local ranchers and farmers. They'll actually donate things to us like stillborn calves or goat, sheep, horses, things like that that have passed away of natural causes. And we will freeze those animals for about two weeks to kill off bacteria and parasites. Then we can feed it out to our wolves.
1: That's fascinating. Mm -hmm. Very cool. And
0: it's Yeah. And so we love doing things like that. One- Saves us a lot of money, which is great.
1: (laughs) Yeah, no doubt.
0: But um, it's also amazing that we can have a positive relationship like that with our local communities. And so we'll also get calls from our local um, highway patrol officers who have seen a roadkill deer nearby. And they'll call us up and say, hey, we've got a deer for you. And if it's close by and it's fresh, then same thing. We'll pick it up. We'll freeze it for a few weeks to kill off bacteria and whatnot. And we'll usually feed out the roadkill deer to our Mexican gray wolves since they can't receive livestock and they are release candidates. But the whole carcass feeding items are something that we love to give to our wolves because it's very enriching. They will normally be eating off of whole carcasses in the wild, but that's something that's maybe sometimes a little less frequently available in captivity and also It's a more nutritious food item than just the muscle meat in, let's say, chicken.
1: Right. That's... That's also fascinating to me. That's that's so cool. Um, and so for yeah, for any of my listeners in California, if you ever hit a deer, just run it on up to the the California. No, I'm kidding. I'm kidding.
0: <laughs> <laughs> I mean, we've accepted weirder donations. Trust
1: me. <laughs> um, so I'm I'm curious. You know, we talk about enrichment, and do y'all have different policies with enrichment for the uh the ones that are candidates for release versus the ones that live there, or is it just kind of You know, you let them enrich themselves. How does that work?
0: I'm glad you asked that. So that SSP we talked about earlier with the Mexican gray wolves does have standards for enrichment. So we say in general, enrichment is an item, device, or experience that is designed in order to elicit some species-specific natural behavior. So that's a whole lot of jargon to mean (laughs) that we are appealing to that animal's natural senses to help keep them from getting bored. And so with wolves, that's a huge variety of items. People also misunderstand and think enrichment equals food treat. And so they come on our enrichment tour thinking that the wolves are going to be fed something. And they may, that's another item of enrichment, but it may also be something that has an interesting smell. And it may also be something that they can touch and physically interact with in that way. It may also be audio, so but say it's puppies yipping or an elk bugling. It can be so many different things. And so with the Mexican gray wolves, we cannot give them anything that contains a lot of man-made materials. So things like plastic, that's a really big one for them. Uh, With our Northwestern gray wolves, they have a large plastic feeding log that's an okay enrichment item for them. It's actually, interestingly enough, built for bears.
1: Oh, nice. (laughs)
0: Yeah, uh, totally works for them, of course, because again, another large carnivore, but that would be something that we could not give to our Mexican gray wolves. So we will give them very appropriate enrichment for them as a release candidate, but also something that they may encounter more so in the wild. So let's say with that roadkill deer, we consider that a form of enrichment because that is a natural prey item for them is deer. And they will encounter that more so in the wild, not quite as much here in captivity.
1: Very cool. I love that. That's, uh, that's so cool. And just the whole candidates for re-release thing makes me so happy. Um, I just, uh, I love conservation so much. I love what y'all are doing there. I, I just appreciate <laughs> what y'all are doing so much. Now, I have a question for you about enrichment of a different uh, yes. type Okay. because i am I'm hearing some natural enrichment in the background right now. It, it sounds like there are a lot of birds hanging out at your facility. um and i'm I'm curious if if there's anything there with like the birds and the wolves or anything else, any other like y'all are out in nature, so do do the wolves interact with you know squirrels, nature, birds, anything?
0: Yeah, so I love that you asked that question. It is very true. We are out in nature. Uh, We are surrounded by wilderness, and so we have lots and lots of local fauna here. And the specific bird that you're probably hearing a little bit is ravens. So they are an incredible bird. You probably know they're very intelligent. And in the wild, wolves and ravens actually have a really interesting mutualistic relationship. Oh, yeah? So, yeah, it's super cool. So ravens will actually circle in the sky above a downed carcass. And then wolf packs that are in the area may see that and they know, oh, that means there's free food over there. (laughs) So then they will go to that carcass. The wolf pack will eat as much as they can. And once they've left the area, then the ravens have access to that free meal and their beaks aren't actually strong enough to break open the carcass on their own. So they need the wolves to give them food availability and the wolves get a free meal because they didn't have to hunt for that.
1: Oh my gosh. I am happy dancing in my chair right now. I love that (laughs) so much. Also, I just, I love corvids. I mean, ravens are one of the, the coolest animals out there, period. So,
0: ah, that's so cool. Yes, they are truly incredible here. Unfortunately for us, they're just kind of a local freeloader. (laughs) Fair. So um, today was actually a feeding day for our wolves. So you're probably hearing a bit more raven activity than you would on a non-feeding day. So they're flying up in the sky, scattering around chicken bones right now. (laughs) Um, they're oh, making a nice fun big for mess. Me that's that's yeah. my me now. <laughs> it's really amazing, too, because, like I said, we incorporate carcasses, um, deer, livestock, things like that into our regular feedings. And ravens will go after that as well. It's not just the chicken. Um, and then sometimes they'll pick up a piece and they'll pick off whatever food is left on it. Then they will discard the bones or something else that's left over wherever they please and (laughs) so i've been walking tours through an area at some points and i'll have to explain why is there a vertebrae or a bit of rib on the ground and you know tour guests will try to be funny and think oh haha is that a bit of a tour guest leftover that misbehaved but (laughs) it's just our local ravens making a giant mess for us
1: (laughs) Oh, that makes me happy. That's just so cool. Um, And are there any other interesting, uh, you know, nature meets wolves experiences that you guys have up there?
0: Oh, there are plenty. So uh, we do have skunks in the area as well. (laughs) Oh, Um, now that's an
1: interesting scent for the for the wolves.
0: so interesting. We'll say interesting. For them. <laughs> uh, not so pleasant for us. Uh, for the most part, wolves will just ignore skunks. They're very intelligent, but also the skunks have the bold black and white coloring that tells any potential predators, hey, I'm loaded with something stinky. Don't want to mess with me. And the wolves will usually respect that. But we also have some interesting personalities with our wolves on site. And sometimes they'll decide hey, that looks interesting. I'm going to go after the skunk. And then we come on site in the morning and we get hit in the face with skunk smell. (laughs) So really unpleasant for us. Sometimes a different form of enrichment for them.
1: And they're probably sitting there with that stupid, happy grin on their face that all, all you know, canines get.
0: <laughs> oh, <laughs> Look yes. Look what I did. <laughs> Look what I found, Mom. <laughs> this is great.
1: <laughs> so um, tell me, are, you know? I'm curious, when it comes to knowing the different wolves there, um, do you all have names for them? Are there numbers? Is it different for the ambassadors and the ones that are, are candidates for release? And um, how, how well do you get to know the wolves?
0: So we do have some wolves that just have numbers. And the reason why they have those numbers is because that is a Mexican gray wolf, part of that SSP. So the number is what we call their stud book number. That is, let's pick one of our ambassadors. Uh, I get to pick on him for a lot of different things, but one is his stud book number. So his stud book number is M1782. And the M stands for male. So for any of our females, it would be F. And then the number corresponds to the order in which they were born into the program. So our one of our ambassadors, his name is Durango. He <laughs> is the 1,782nd wolf born into that program. So that's where that uh, those digits come from. Sure. And then with the rest of our wolves, um, with the Northwestern gray wolves, since technically we do own them, we name them um, to give them a variety of names that are themed after, let's say, possibly a Native American name or with one of our ambassadors. Also pick on her a lot because she's got a fun personality. Her name is Poppy. So named after the state flower. Nice. And um, she has earned herself the nickname Pop Star or Pop Tart.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Well, why don't you tell me about Poppy's personality a little bit?
0: Oh, she's so wonderful. So uh, she was born here on site with her sister, Tulisi, four years ago. They actually both recently had a birthday um, on May 6th, and so we celebrated them. And she has such an amazing personality for being an ambassador because she is so curious about whatever's going on with tour groups and one of my favorite things about her is she is specifically so curious about young children on tour. Now, I do want to belay anyone's fears about wolves being curious about little kids. They <laughs> don't think that they're snacks. <laughs> they are not approaching your young child because they think, "Ooh, that looks tasty." Um, they are approaching because for a couple different reasons, one being that us smaller humans are a little closer to the wolf's eye level. So we'll see a similar reaction between, let's say we have an adult tour guest who is crouching down to get a different perspective for a picture. They'll react a similar way to that scenario as they will with a young child. And so they just think, oh, this is something a little closer to my eye level. It's slightly less intimidating, I'm curious. So they'll approach again in that way, but also young children maybe making some different noises than us, tall, scary adult humans. (laughs) And so that will stimulate their senses and they'll think, oh, this is, this is different. I want to approach this and explore. And once I had um, a private tour group, just a family of four, there was a very young boy. I believe he was about four years old. He had a lot of energy and he all of a sudden bolted from one end of our viewing area to the other, And Poppy followed right along with him. (laughs) So she was very, very curious about all he was about. Whole time during the tour, she was riveted just staring at him. And it's so fascinating, again, to see the wolves' different reactions to different scenarios like that during a tour. But also, when they are that close, then you truly see wolves from a different perspective. You can see their beautiful eyes, you can see the interesting expressions that they're making. You can see them pivoting their ears forward to hear something better. It's a completely different experience when you can see them up close.
1: You're, you're, um, you're making me um, very, just very jealous right now. Just seeing. So you know.
0: <laughs> <laughs> well, you'll have to come see us sometime. That's motivation. <laughs> that, that is the plan.
1: I actually um, my, my fiance and I are, are probably going to end up honeymooning in San Diego. And if so, uh, you and I are going to be having a chat because I want I want to come. Oh. We, we tried so hard while I was out there and it just didn't work out.
0: Hmm. Yeah. yeah. Life happens. Totally understand. But yeah, if you sign up for a tour, you can leave a little note that uh, you want to do a tour with me, and I'll come meet you.
1: Amazing! I love it. That's awesome. Are there any other wolves that you want to tell me about in particular because they're awesome? I mean, I know they're all awesome, but you know your faves. Yeah,
0: they truly are. Uh, one that I would love to highlight because. He doesn't always get the most love, and I want to highlight his amazing personality. His name is Phoenix, and he's one of our off exhibit wolves. He came to us very, very shy, and so much so that we had to stick a remote trail camera inside of his habitat to take pictures of him to identify him with because we saw him in his crate when he first came to us, and then we released him into his nice open habitat. And we didn't see him again for a long time. (laughs) (laughs) Wow. (laughs) He wanted absolutely nothing to do with us. And which is amazing. That's what we want to see from wolves, but we needed to know what he looked like so we could check up on him and make sure he was okay. (laughs) Right. (laughs) Um, So he wanted just nothing to do with people. And he and his mate Frida were actually chosen to be one of our mated pairs. And they had puppies. As soon as they had those puppies, Phoenix became the most overprotective dad. He is such a fantastic parent, really, really highlights how amazing wolves are as parents in general. But specifically with him, he started doing this behavior that we see occasionally from wolves. They don't have a true barking sound that they make. They'll make what we call a huff bark or a howl bark, and it's kind of a chuffing noise that may turn into a howl, um, but... Phoenix, then after he had those puppies, and even to this day, when they're grown up, they're two, three years old, they're not puppies anymore. (laughs) But if he sees a human coming up to his habitat, then he will stomp at us and make that loud huff barking sound. And we know, okay, Phoenix is in a protective mood and we need to back away from his little kids. And it's just so fantastic seeing him transform into such an amazing dad and again really highlights how amazing wolves are as parents.
1: That is such a great story. I love it so much. That's that's so cool. Um and you know, you mentioned um the noises that wolves make and I feel like that's another thing where there's maybe a little bit of misunderstanding or myth around it. People think that, you know, if you hear a wolf howl that it's like On the hunt and looking to attack or whatever. But could you talk to us a little bit about what wolf howls actually are? And also, do y'all get to hear a lot of them while you're there?
0: So wolf howls really do indicate a lot of different things. And like you said, lots of misunderstandings about them. Another one we hear a lot is, oh, wolves howl at the moon, right? And they absolutely do not. (laughs) They are active most during dawn and dusk hours, which is when the moon is likely to be out, or at least we humans with our poor eyesight are most likely to see it at that point. (laughs) Sure. And so someone likely heard a wolf howling when they popped their head outside and saw that the moon was out and thought, ah, yes, the wolf must be talking to the rock in the sky. That makes sense. (laughs) (laughs) So that's kind of our theory about where that myth came from, but they are definitely communicating to other wolves in the area and they may communicate to other wolves within their pack. They may call to all their other pack mates and say, Hey, let's go hunting. So it may be that, like you said, they are actually pursuing the hunt, but it may also be because they are howling to defend their territory they may also, there's evidence that they may also howl to mourn the loss of a pack member.
1: Very interesting. Very, very interesting. Um, yeah, I actually was um, listening to a podcast a while ago, and I'll have to re- try to remember what it was and put it in here, but uh, where they, they were saying that there's some real music theory involved with Wolf Howls um, that, like— basically it's it's slightly different terminology but to anthropomorphize a little bit that like each pack will kind of have its own key and each um Wolf will be like a note in the key. And then when wolves go off and start their own packs or join a different pack or whatever, their, their natural tone of their natural howl will change and, and kind of morph into a new key of music. Um, and again, I'm, I'm using the human term as we think of it, but, um, and this was, this is just fascinates me as a professional musician. I'm, I'm constantly amazed at how much music and tone is out there in the, the world of animals.
0: Yeah. And something we say as well during our tours, we actually have a um, recording of uh, one of our wolf packs howling together. When you hear them howling together, each individual in that pack will howl and forgive my improper use of musical terms, (laughs) but um, they will each howl, each individual in that pack will howl at a slightly different pitch. And so let's say we've got a pack of just two or three. They will all howl at slightly different pitches so that they sound like a larger group of wolves, maybe 10 or so. And so that is a very effective and efficient way for them to defend their territory, because they're essentially communicating through all those slightly different howls that this is a huge wolf pack and you do not want to enter this territory. It is taken.
1: Just fascinating. Just so cool. Um, Is there anything else or any other wolves or anything that you would like to share about?
0: Oh, that's hard because I honestly say, and I forgive me, I don't think I answered this part of your question earlier. You were asking, how well do we know our individual wolves here? Oh, yeah, and, that's right. I did ask that Good memory, yeah, um, and i I wanted to mention that because we have we have twenty nine wolves on site, and so a lot of people think, how in the world can you possibly know each of one of these animals, but especially since we have to treat them as wild as possible. And we do see them at least we hope once a day and we see them pretty far away, but we also have the opportunity to observe them remotely through those trail cameras. And that is such a fascinating way to see them acting naturally and see their pack dynamics without human interference and possible stress from the presence of humans. And it's through all those interactions put together seeing our ambassadors on tour as well, that we really do get to know their personalities. And that's why, for example, with Poppy, you heard me use her nickname, Popstar, Pop-Tart. We also call her Poophead sometimes. But (laughs) (laughs) Um, with all those interactions put together, we do get to know them. And we've got so many wonderful personalities here. We've got Phoenix, who's the amazing dad. We've got Poppy, who's the pop star, We've got the ambassador Durango, who's the goofball. We've also got um, another off-exhibit dad named Bailey. He is such another amazing example of a wolf dad. Um, Kind of unfortunate, his mate Joy passed away very recently. And he is older. Um, He is in that situation I talked about earlier where we have attempted to keep a wolf family together. So we had Joy and Bailey, And then two of their previous litters who are now adults and they all got along so beautifully. We were so concerned that when joy passed away, that perhaps then that would throw off their pack dynamics. Bailey would no longer be in his dominant status that perhaps one of his kids would start acting more dominant and that then he may have less access to food because of some competition. And so because of that concern, we placed trail cameras inside their habitat to see how they'd be doing over maybe the next two weeks or so after her passing. And we saw him walking so confidently with such a big, dominant presence, even though he's tiny, he's a tiny old man. He's 14. <laughs> oh, my goodness. He's, and for uh, for uh, perspective, their expected lifespan in captivity is between 13 and 15 years. Okay, wow. So he's honestly doing amazing for being at his age, but especially since his mate passed away and she was such a dominant figure in that pack, he maintained his dominant status. We saw him walking in a video where... His posture was very dominant. He had his tail held straight out. He was standing tall, his ears forward, his hackles up, making himself just look like this big, impressive presence. And his kids were walking along behind him, looking nice and submissive to him. And so everyone was just getting along beautifully. So we see their personalities for sure in a lot of different ways. And we all grow very attached to every single one of them.
1: Mm, I love that story. I love that so much. That's just, that's just wonderful. Thank you for sharing that. Um, that means a lot, uh, for anyone who's listening to this and is inspired to check y'all out and, um, maybe, maybe help y'all out and help out with some wolf conservation. Um, how can they go about doing that?
0: So there are a lot of ways in which you can help wolf conservation at large. Um, and also if you were inspired by what our center is doing. Um, There's a lot of more specific things you can do to help us. With wolf conservation in general, I would say one of the easiest ways you can help is to just help spread the information that you've learned about them and help dispel those myths, those really negative myths about wolves being the big bad, whatever they are, be they predator or some other negative force but to also just help people understand how amazing they are, that they are a keystone species in their ecosystem. They are an apex predator and they're just so fascinating in such a variety of ways. Um, But also with the California Wolf Center and what we're doing, um, you can come visit us, come see us for a tour, get a membership that gets you free wolf conservation tours. Come see us at our downtown Julian B Street facility and talk to our docents, learn all about us. And also, if you're interested in becoming a donor, that's a huge way that you can help us if you are not anywhere near us geographically and you can't come for a visit.
1: Very cool. And all that information is on the website?
0: Yes, that is all available on our website.
1: Love it. And uh, that means it is time.
0: It's time now,
1: don't you know? We've come to the end of the show. There's one tale left to go. You're gonna laugh and say oh no. It's time for the Ron Safari poop story.
0: Oh my gosh, I've been so looking forward to this. <laughs> I had <laughs> I had so much trouble deciding which poop story. Poop story. <laughs> to give you some <laughs> reference for <laughs> what our daily life here is like at the Wolf Center. Um so again. We pick up a lot of poop. That's part of our husbandry routine that we do three times a week. So we are very much in danger of accidentally stepping on poop. But I decided to think about a little outside the box for the quote-unquote poop story. Poop story! Um, so recently, we, ha- we made the decision with the vet that we work with to actually neuter our male northwestern gray wolf. His name is Wintu. He just turned nine this year. And we decided, okay... We are not going to be breeding this individual anymore. And so that is really the only point at which we would make the decision to neuter or spay a wolf is when they are no longer going to be breeding with us. And it was either we do that or we continue to, every breeding season, separate him from the female he is with currently, which is his daughter. And so we made the decision again to neuter him And when we do a procedure on our site, what we do is if it's something quick and simple, we actually do it within their habitat so that then we don't have to anesthetize the wolf. Those drugs may have negative side effects, but also just transporting them can be very stressful for all involved. Um, And so we actually anesthetized him, had his surgery happening in our break room. So we again, we are a small nonprofit. We don't have a nice fancy medical clinic here. And so we do what we have to do. And (laughs) for a more invasive procedure like that, we will actually have wolves on a table in our break room. So um, don't think about that too much if you are meeting me in our break room. Um, But (laughs) Uh, we had him on our table. He's fully anesthetized. So we're all staff just in there with our vet. And we're asking him questions about the procedure as he's doing it. Um, because it was something that a lot of the staff had never seen before. Because we just do this so infrequently. And so our vet is working on two, And one of the staff members pipes up from the back and says a joke. And she says, oh, ha, ha, ha. We're going to have to change his name from Wintu to Winifred because he's losing his testes. And then our vet says, wait, what did you say? And so she repeated the joke. And as our vet is laying Wintu's testicles out on the table, uh, he says, oh, I thought you said he would have to go from win two to lose to. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, So that was just the whole room lost it. It was so fantastic. (laughs) It's like, that's kind of gross, but that is just too fantastic to pass up, to pass on to you.
1: It's so good. And it's the dumb kind of jokes that I always make. So I love it so much.
0: (laughs) (laughs) And you know, our vet is so fantastic. He's usually very even keel, very chill person takes every opportunity he can to educate you about what he's doing, how he's doing it, why he's making the choices he is to work with what are, to be fair, kind of dangerous wild animals. And then to just hear him stop and take that moment to make a really fantastic joke that he only had a -a once-in-a-lifetime opportunity to make was just so perfect.
1: (laughs) Awesome. I love it. Thank you so much for doing this.
0: Of course, and thank you so much for taking time to meet with me.
1: Absolutely. Well, I don't know about y'all, but I'm planning on taking a holiday back to California and getting out to Julian and checking out the California Wolf Center. Way too proud of that joke. It was, it was, it was, uh, it was an easy one, and I took it, and I'm happy about that fact. So, anyway, um, yeah, I, I'm so thankful to Katie for for being a part of this and for all the awesome work being done at the California Wolf Center. And if you would like to check that work out for yourself, you can go to CaliforniaWolfCenter.org or at CaliforniaWolf. Center on social media and I, I gotta tell y'all um, that, that Instagram has just just a lot of real cute pictures of real cute wolves so highly recommend 10 out of 10 would go visit again I'm actually looking at it right now as I'm speaking to you because I like to multitask uh, once again just a quick reminder please 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 go and do the ratings and reviews thing let's, let's bump those numbers up a little bit and uh, I, I'd super appreciate it and remember friends the 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 word credits in wolf is The Rossifari podcast is produced, hosted, and engineered by John Rossi. Editing and fact-checking by John and Dr. Zoe Vesley gross Our theme song is Sevens by Nathan Burke, performed by Nathan and John. Interrupting John theme and additional voices by Taylor Isaac Gray.